Well, I'm guessing we have all had times in our lives when we have said something or we have done something and then we have thought, where in the world did that come from? Where in the world did that come from? Let me tell you a story on myself from high school. My senior year of high school, I had my wisdom teeth pulled out and uh, after they had been removed and while I was still groggy, a nurse came in and was giving us instructions. My mom and my sister and I were there, and uh, I remember that that nurse was very irritating. She was very irritating because she kept saying we. Don't you hate it when medical people say we when they really mean you? Well, she was saying we. We need to be careful about brushing back there, and we need to avoid eating salt, and we need to do this, and we need to not do that. And um, the list was long. And when she got to the end, then she said, and we won't be eating potato chips. And I remember that specifically because I love potato chips. But apparently, she and I weren't going to be eating potato chips. Well, after saying this, she seemed to be done with her instructions. And so she turned and walked out of the room. And what I remember next was seeing utter shock on my mom's face. And my sister burst out laughing. And then my mom joined her in laughing. But I just closed my eyes and went back to sleep again. Later, I discovered that apparently, just after the nurse said we wouldn't be eating potato chips and turning her back, I apparently gave her a common gesture. Well, common in traffic, but not common for me to use. And um, I guess I waved goodbye, but I only used one finger to do so. Now, I would love to tell you that that happened before I was a Christ follower, that it was before I was committed to Jesus, but that wouldn't be true. In fact, I was less than six months away for, uh, from leaving for Bible college to train to be your pastor someday. <laughs> so when my family, who thought this was hilarious, told me about it and told others about it, someone asked, Steve, where did that come from? And I said, well, I guess I was still heavily medicated. I, you know, I made some excuse, but it was so out of character for me, really. So let me ask you, have you ever had one of those where did that come from moments? Have you had some of those where did that come from moments? I mean, have you ever had your selfishness surprise you and others around you when it just emerged without warning? Have you ever seen your anger just explode unexpectedly? Have you ever surprised yourself by telling a lie when telling the truth wouldn't have been a problem at all? Have you ever had gossip just spill from your lips? Has it ever felt like you just couldn't keep the lid on your lust? Have you ever experienced just an overflow 
of jealousy. Those aren't proud moments when they happen. And often afterwards, we find ourselves asking, where did that come from? How did that happen? Where did that come from? And the answer isn't easy for us to handle. The truth is that gesture that shocked my mom and entertained my sister reflected something that was inside of me. Something that was inside, oh, it was hidden, but it was there all along. It, it, just, it just spilled out. And according to Jesus, when we have those where did that come from moments, it is always a reflection of what is inside of us. Look at what, it, what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Jesus said, everything that we say, everything that we do flows from what we have stored up inside of our heart, what we have stored up inside of our mind. We have good things and bad things stored up there like we've been depositing into a bank vault and sometimes it just comes out. And today in our world, we try to separate our heart and our mind, we tend to think that what we believe and what we feel are two completely separate things. But in the Bible, the heart and the mind are always very closely connected. What we feel and what we think is always closely connected. That's why Jesus, when he was talking about real worship, says that real worshipers worship him in spirit with their heart and emotions and in truth with their mind and with their intellect because the two are very closely connected. It's what we read in Proverbs when it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. We are what we think in our heart. And that passage in Proverbs 23 is talking specifically about insincerity and flattery that eventually will be exposed, but the principle is clear. What we think in our heart is who we really are. It's who we really are. And what we really are eventually comes out in some way. And when who we are inside spills over into our lives and we see it or we let other people see it, it often isn't a proud moment. We might feel embarrassed, we might feel ashamed, but deeper than the shame that we feel or the embarrassment we feel is the startling revelation of who we are. Those moments reveal a deeper side of us. A side we might want to hide, a side we might want to deny, we might, might not like who we find ourselves to be, and we are what we think. The good and the bad, the calm and the panic, the hateful and the loving, 
as a person thinks in his heart, that's who they are. Because what we think and what we do flows from what we have stored inside of us. And often our thoughts have become toxic. They've become harmful. We're harmed by the fact that we're worried and fearful. We're harmed by the fact that we're hard on ourselves. We're harmed by the fact that we've become negative and critical and cynical and sarcastic and so many other things. So as we are in the midst of this year trying to experience the best year ever, we need to spend some time talking about overcoming harmful thinking because our thinking affects so many areas. Look at what it says in Proverbs 4. Above all, be careful what you think because your thoughts control your life. Your thoughts control your life. Our life really is controlled by how we think. If your attitude is positive, you'll be positive. If your attitude is negative, you will be negative. If your mindset is that people are basically dishonest and trying to cheat you, you will constantly see dishonesty around you and you will even suspect honest people of being cheating and dishonest. And if you think that the church is boring, it will be. And if you always think lustfully, you will see sexual opportunities everywhere. Our lives really are shaped by our thoughts. So we have to guard our thoughts. We have to be careful of them. The truth is most of us struggle with toxic thought syndrome. Our thoughts are toxic. We allow our thoughts to be overcome by worry and by hate and by impurity and by distrust and by negativity and by pride and deceit and jealousy and so many other things. So many other things. So let's use this message to help us get a start at least on using the strength of Jesus and the wisdom of Scripture to help us replace harmful thoughts with positive actions, positive attitudes. And I know we won't be able to cover every aspect of this subject in one message, but let's do our best to at least scratch the surface. And as I seek to overcome harmful thoughts, I find in the Bible a passage of Scripture that kind of gives us a prescription for improving my thoughts. Look with me at that prescription. It's in Philippians chapter 4. If you want to open your device or your Bible, you can open it to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be going back to this passage several times. But for the best year ever, to overcome your harmful thinking, first, focus your thoughts on prayer. Focus your thoughts on prayer. Look at what it says in verse 6 of Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. Now, I know that this is easier said than done because many of us are far better at worrying than we are at praying. How many of you are better at worrying than you are at praying? Yeah, there, I see those hands. They're all over the room. Um, that seems to be something that happens to us. And, and I'm not trying to be simplistic here. I'm really not. I know some struggle with very real anxiety disorders. And saying to pray it away is just too simple. 
But many of us just get into a progression in our thoughts that lead us to harmful thoughts. So let me describe that progression that we get into. Well, first we just start thinking about something, and as we think, we become concerned about a problem or a potential problem, and so we begin to worry. We begin to worry, and that's the first step. As we worry, we spend time playing the what-if game. That's part of worrying. Have you played the what-if game? You begin worrying, and you think, what if they think I hate them? What if they hate me? What if I can't pay for it? What if we lose our job? What if they find out my secret? I'm guessing you've played the what if game. Now, if when you're playing the what if game while you're worrying, you come up with good solutions to your what ifs, it kind of ends right there. You stop worrying about it because you came up with good solutions. But let's face it, if you, if you excel at worrying like I do, you'll always come up with some what-ifs that there's no solutions to, right? And so when you come up with what-ifs where there's no solution, then you move to fear. Fear is the second step. Fear is when your worry gets to the point that you begin losing sleep. Because you are sure, you become positive that the what-ifs aren't what-ifs at all. They're for-sures, right? The what-ifs are for-sures. And um, so you begin focusing on that. And you don't worry that you might lose your job. You are sure that you're going to. And you are picturing the repo man coming to the house and getting your car. That's, that's the fear side. You have moved from the what ifs to the for sures and you are scared to death by that. And when you live in fear for a very short amount of time, then fear becomes panic. It becomes absolute panic. We find it hard to function because we're absolutely panicking about what our thoughts are telling us will for sure happen in our life and at this stage we have ourselves living under a bridge and eating out of garbage cans because we lost our job after all and they came and took our car so we can't even live in it you see worry fear and panic all begin in the same place our harmful thoughts our harmful thoughts and the verse in philippians 4 tells me to deal with it early by praying instead of panicking. I deal with it early by praying. He says, don't worry about anything. Don't let that process get started. Don't worry about anything, but pray instead about everything. You pray about everything. Here's the principle. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to worry about, you should be praying about it. And prayer helps me to avoid getting to the point of panic. As I am beginning to worry and moving into this progression, prayer reminds me of some really important things. These aren't in your notes, so if you want them, scribble them down. When I pray, I remember, first of all, that God is strong enough to deal with the things I'm concerned about. When I pray, I acknowledge he's strong enough. Secondly, when I pray, I'm reminded that God cares enough about me to deal with what I'm struggling with. 
So I remember he's strong enough and I remember he cares enough about me. And then prayer also reminds me that God knows which what ifs will become for sures. God already knows which of the what ifs will be for sures. By the way, statistically, I am told that 94% of the things we worry about, 94% never happen. 94% of the things that we worry about never happen. And so when I pray, I realize he's strong enough and he cares enough and he already knows what really is going to happen. And when I really understand all of these things to be true about God, I can realize that it's really useless for me to worry and I just stop the progression there when I pray. Look at what Jesus said about worrying. He said, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles are enough for today. Today's troubles are enough. Don't borrow them from tomorrow. But the worries about practical things, Jesus said, dominate the thoughts of people who don't believe in him. The worries about practical things dominate the thoughts of people who have not yet trusted Jesus for forgiveness and salvation and daily help. But we know God is with us. We know that God is on our side. And when we seek him first, he will provide everything we need and he will help us through the difficult times. As the song that they, the team just sang said, he will help you, he will. So pray. So to overcome our harmful thoughts, we need to focus our thoughts on prayer. Secondly, when your thoughts are in a harmful place, focus your thoughts on peace, on peace. Look again at Philippians chapter 4. Here's what it says in verse 7. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you. But I really want God's peace. I really crave his peace. I mean, we see the news every day and there's anything but peace. I mean, we see murders and attacks and death and hate and more division than I think we've ever seen in my lifetime anyway. It is clear that we need God's peace. But more than I desire world peace, more than I desire political peace, I desire personal peace, personal peace. We live in this world of stress and turmoil and dishonesty and we are busy and bothered and we are hurrying and we're scurrying and we're seeing betrayal and we're saying, seeing all sorts of things and there's just very little peace in our heart. And the passage reminds us that God's peace is more wonderful than we can comprehend. 
His peace is more wonderful than we can understand. His peace will keep our thoughts and our hearts quiet and at rest. Don't you like that picture? His peace will keep our hearts quiet and restful. I want a quiet and a restful heart. I want quiet and restful thoughts. Don't you want that? So how can we gain that? Well, write this down. I feel restful when my relationships are peaceful. I feel restful when my relationships are peaceful. And when we say that, that deals first with my relationship with God. That deals first with my relationship with God himself. If I haven't settled the issue of what I think about God, I will never find peace. And some of you are in that situation today. I mean, you're searching for peace. You're searching for, for fulfillment. You want that in your life. And someone in your life told you that God might be the path to that, that Jesus might have some solutions for that. And you're here hoping to find that. And you're searching. And I want you to know that's fine. If you're searching, you are welcomed here. You don't have, have to have all the answers to be here. We don't pretend we do. But you need to know you're surrounded by people today who have discovered that without a real vital friendship with God, there really is no peace. But with a real friendship with God, there is this peace that you can't explain, this peace that you can't fully understand. And if you will keep seeking after God, we believe with all our hearts that you will find that peace. We believe that because God has promised that all who seek him will find him. And by the way, we would be honored, I would be honored to help you with your search in any way I can. But there's another group here that needs to find peace with God. It's easy to talk about those who haven't yet made a choice for God searching for peace, but there are people here who have committed themselves to Christ, committed themselves to following Christ, and they don't feel peace with God. And it may be that they just need to focus their thoughts on God again and on his peace. I mean, you may have let the pressure of the world drain off your peace. You may have been distracted and gone a different way, or you might be doing things in your life that clearly are not God's plan for you. And you may need to focus on your relationship with him again in order to have peace with him again. You see, finding peace with God is crucial. It's crucial to dealing with your harmful thinking. But the other major area that we need to think about if we're going to have peace instead of pressure in our thoughts and in our hearts is our relationship with other people. It's our relationship with other people. Our harmful thoughts are where so many of the problems with people come from. So many of our sin against each other begins in our thoughts. It might be that my ungodly thoughts lead me to jealousy towards other people. It, it is my harmful thoughts that lead me to bitterness and hate. It's my thoughts that cause me to question the motives of others and to never really give them the benefit of the doubt and believe the best. Gossip 
and slander and resentment and divisiveness and envy and pride and many other sins begin with our harmful thoughts. They begin with our harmful thoughts about other people. And Scripture is clear. No one who claims to be close to God can be comfortable having strained relationships with other people and especially with other Christ followers. God intends for us to get along with each other. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 3. Each one of you is part of the body of Christ and you were chosen to live together in peace. So let the peace that comes from Christ control your thoughts and be grateful. I believe a big part of getting rid of my harmful thoughts is to let Christ control my thoughts. How do I do this? I do this by trying to think in the way that Jesus would. I ask myself sometimes when I'm having some of those harmful thoughts, when I'm angry with someone or I've been hurt or injured by someone, or when I'm just not thinking nice thoughts about someone. Have you ever had that happen? Me too. But in those moments, I try to ask myself, is what I'm thinking something that Jesus would think about that person? If Jesus was thinking about this person, what would he think? And it's amazing. When I can think like Jesus, then I begin to talk like Jesus. And when I begin to think and talk like Jesus, then I begin to live like Jesus and I begin to treat people the way that Jesus would treat them. And so I'm trying to let his peace control my thoughts, to let his peace control my thoughts. So to overcome our harmful thinking, we've got to focus our thoughts on peace with God and peace with each other. Third, Ephesians 4 says to overcome harmful thinking, focus your thoughts on purity. Focus your thoughts on purity. We could say so much here and we just don't have time, but look at what it says in the first part of verse 8. And now, brothers, as I close this letter, let me say this one more thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely. There is so much in this world that just isn't worth thinking about. It's not worth thinking about. And so much that has come our way is intended to change the way that we think. So much that comes into our brain that we see that we hear around us is intended to make us buy something or believe something or accept something or to do something or to vote for someone. And that is what I call propaganda. And if I focus on uh, the propaganda I hear every day, I begin to think harmful thoughts. I begin to think that my harmful thoughts are normal. I begin to think that my harmful thoughts are acceptable. I believe, I begin to believe in different standards of right and wrong. I begin to believe and have different priorities. But I want God's priority. I want God's standard. I want to believe what he teaches and value what he values. I want to be pure. I want to have a pure heart. I want to live my life in such a way that even when people suggest I'm ignorant or evil or outdated based on the fact that I don't hold their priorities, I can rest on the fact that I'm pure. 
that I'm pure. I can know my heart is pure and my motives are pure. So how do we get there? Well, there are two requirements for a pure heart. Here's the two requirements. Pure truth and pure thoughts. Pure truth and pure thoughts. Again, we don't have much time, but let's unpack this a little. To develop pure truth, ask God to correct your understanding and then study the Bible. You see, the only way to deal with the propaganda that comes our way is to ask God to correct my thinking. Pray and say, God, I want my beliefs to be right. I want to understand your truth. And so, God, help me understand your truth. Correct my understandings. Help me to see the lies behind the things that are tempting me. Help me to see the lies behind the things that uh, are just pulling at me. But then when you pray that, don't stop there. Study the Bible. Because the Bible is where God has revealed himself. The Bible is God's truth. It is the heart of God communicated to you. It is the only place where real truth can be found. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy 2. It says, work hard so God can approve you. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. You need to study God's word so that you can understand God's truth. We need to move on. To develop pure thoughts, ask God to clean up your heart and then improve your intake. Ask God to clean up your heart and then improve your intake. So much of uh, our impure thoughts come from the things that we choose to take into our life. The things that we see in movies, the things that we see on television, the things that we choose to look at on the screens that we carry with us or the screens that we have at our home. And... Um, all of this intake from that and from other people who are trying to pull us towards impurity, they just infect our thoughts and our thoughts and our hearts are full of thoughts that are impure and we don't even recognize them as impure. We've rationalized many of them. We don't recognize them. Think about it. Things that would have been shocking to us just a few years ago we now shrug at. They seem normal and expected. So I start this desire for a pure thought by asking God to clean up my heart. I want him to point out to me any filth that has infected my life. And I want him to point out to me anything that is impure that I've accepted as normal. I want him to purify my thinking so that I can see his purity. Here's a prayer that one of the great men of the Bible prayed when he was struggling with personal purity. He said, create in me a new clean heart, O God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. That'd be a great prayer for you to memorize and pray every day, for you to put on your screensaver or somewhere where you can see it and pray every day, create in me a new clean heart, O God filled with clean thoughts and right desires. It's a great prayer. Lastly, focus your thoughts on praise, on praise. Look at how verse 8 ends. It says, and dwell on the fine good things in others. 
Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. Think about all the good things that you can praise God for, that you can be glad about. Dwell on those things. Instead of dwelling on problems, instead of dwelling on uh, difficulties, dwell on what is good. Instead of being frustrated by how people are hurting you, find something to to thank God for about them. Did you notice we're going to dwell on the fine and good things about others? We're going to find the good in the people around us and that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus our thoughts on praise. Now, does this mean that we just kind of become these uh, optimistic people that just seem out of touch with reality, that we pretend everything is good, that we don't acknowledge any pain or problems in life? No, it doesn't mean that. But most of us are so far from being in danger of being that optimistic person who only sees the good that we don't have to worry much about that. That's not even a danger. Most of us are very well aware of the problems. We have thought about them and we've discussed them and we've worried about them. Few people are so focused on the positive that they are ignoring the negative. But if you want to overcome harmful thinking, you got to focus on what is praiseworthy. You've got to focus on what you can praise God about. We need to see the good. We need to notice the good things around us. We need to see the fine things and the praiseworthy things. We we need to see that in our family. We need to see what we can praise our family for. We need to see that in our friends, the people around us, the people we work with. We need to see that in our country. I know we've got a lot of problems in our country right now. I'm concerned about it just like you are. But America at its worst is still better than any other country at its best. We need to notice the good things about our country. And we need to notice what's praiseworthy in our world. We need to notice that. We need to notice things that we can praise God for rather than focusing on the problems. Basically, we overcome harmful thoughts by getting our focus off of the here and now. Have you noticed that? That's the prescription. We're going to focus on everything except what we've been focusing on. Instead of focusing on the here and now, we've got to get our focus onto something bigger, something better. Look at what Colossians 3, 2 says. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind on things above. Ultimately, the things that we're so panicked about won't matter at all. What matters is God's promise to us as his followers. That's where our focus needs to be. It needs to be on things above. And when I focus on things above, I realize that many of the things that I think are urgent here on earth aren't urgent at all. And when I focus on things above, I realize that some of the things that I don't consider urgent here are actually very urgent you see it really isn't urgent that my child excel at a soccer team it is urgent that my child be pointed towards Jesus that my child uh, be on the road to having a real relationship of their own with Jesus and so when we focus on things above we can clarify again what's urgent So how do you keep your mind on things above? It's very simple. Look at Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts 
on Jesus. Now, if you want the best year ever, and you want to deal with and overcome your harmful thinking, that one verse could probably be your theme for weeks, maybe months. What does it mean to fix your thoughts on Jesus? You know, I think it means that you involve him in everything you think about. When you face a decision, you think, what would Jesus do in this situation? When you face an interaction with somebody, you think, what would Jesus think in this setting? When you begin to panic and worry, you think, how does Jesus deal with this? How do I fix my thoughts on Jesus? There's a challenge for you. Spend some time with that one. But as we come to an end, again, I don't want to oversimplify this. Because I know some people really are struggling with anxiety. They've been in panic mode for a long time. They've gone from worry to fear. And they've been living in panic. Let me share with you one of my favorite verses. I love 1 Peter 5-7. And I love it from a Bible translation that many of you have never heard of. It's called the Phillips Version. Here's what it says. You can throw, throw the whole weight of your anxiety upon him. For you are his personal concern. You can throw the whole weight of your anxiety on Jesus because he cares for you. You are his personal concern. As the song said, when the shadows won't leave, when the battle won't stop, when you can't lift the weight, he will. When you feel any of those ways or all of those ways, you can put the whole weight of that on Jesus. Because you are his personal concern. He's there. So give it to him. Let him take that from you. And when you put that weight on him, he will carry it and he will carry you. Let's pray.